This program is brought to you by Bobbleway Media, under the oversight of the elders of the Chipman Road Congregation in Lee Summit, Missouri. You're listening to Opening the Scriptures with Don Boyd. Welcome to the program today. This is Don Boyd. I want to welcome you to Opening the Scriptures. I want to do a lesson today that we're not going to start with many scriptures, but we will get into them. And the lesson today is how old is the earth? Is it billions of years old? Is it millions of years old? Or is it thousands of years old? <clears throat> Did man evolve from apes? Or was everything created? Evolutionists tell us the earth is about four and a half billion years old and the universe is around 20 to 30 billion years old. Creationists tell us the earth and the universe must be less than 10,000 years old. So one of the greatest controversies in the world today is evolution versus creation. Either the evolutionist is right or the creationist is right. There is no other way that we can have the universe that we have in existence today. So the question is, which one is right? Well, there are those who believe in theistic evolution, which tries to combine the evolutionary time frame with God creating it, such as that. But if either creation or evolution is proven to be right or wrong, the theistic evolutionist does not have anything to base his theory on. So atheistic evolution, again, believes that the universe began about 20 to 30 billion years ago from a little blob of hydrogen. And that the earth is four and a half billion years old and that mankind or his ancient predecessor has been on the earth about four million years. Dr. George Wald of Harvard in his work, The Origin of Life in Scientific American in 1954, made this quote, and I quote, Time is in fact the hero of the plot. The time with which we have to deal is of the order of two billion years. What we, we regard as impossible on the basis of human experience is meaningless here. Given so much time, the impossible becomes possible, the possible probable, and the probable virtually certain. One has only to wait. Time itself performs the miracles." Unquote. Well, where do we get these long dates from? Well, there are basically two different kinds of scientific dating systems that are used. The first one that we're going to look at is carbon-14. It was developed in the late 1940s by Willard F. Libby, an American chemist. Of Dr. Libby, it says that radiocarbon dating can only be used to date things that were once alive. You can't date a rock with it. You can't date dirt with it. Well, on this book, or in his book, Dr. Libby wrote, and this is in the book Radiocarbon Dating, it's on page 8, and I quote, If 
The cosmic radiation has remained at its present intensity for 20 or 30,000 years. And if the carbon reservoir has not changed appreciably in this time, then there exists at the present time a complete balance between the rate of disintegration and of radiocarbon atoms and the rate of assimilation of new radiocarbon atoms for all material in this life cycle. Unquote. So what he's saying is living things are constantly assimilating radiocarbon atoms and disintegrating radiocarbon atoms. But you'll notice two little things there. If the cosmic radiation has remained at its present intensity and if the carbon reservoir has not changed. On page 9 of his book, Dr. Libby states this, and I quote, In other words, during the lifetime, and that would be the lifetime of the plant or the animal, I inserted that, now continuing to quote, The radiocarbon assimilated from food will just balance the radiocarbon disintegrating in the tissues. When death occurs, however, the assimilation process is abruptly halted, and the only and only the disintegration process remains unquote. so the deal there is that those who use the radiocarbon dating method must assume that every living thing must have had the same amount of radiocarbon in their body at death and that the radiocarbon left in the body at the time of discovery is made is what was left of that original amount. On page 10 of Dr. Libby's book, he made this quote. It is obvious that we must be careful in selecting samples to choose materials that contain the original carbon atoms present at the time death occurred. In other words, samples must not have been preserved with organic materials containing carbon of age different from that of the sample. Care must also be taken that chemical changes have not led to the replacement of the carbon atoms." Unquote. The problem with that is that fact cannot be known. They cannot know that fact. It is an assumption that has to be made. Um, in a table on page 6 of his book, Dr. Libby gave a table of carbon inventory which shows the amount of carbon in various parts of our earth and atmosphere. And this is what's found in that table. <clears throat> it says ocean carbonate, 7.25 grams per cubic centimeter. Ocean dissolved organic, 0.59 grams per cubic centimeter. Biosphere. 0.33 grams per cubic centimeter. Atmosphere, 0.12 grams per cubic centimeter. So we go back and we look at the sample there that was already been discussed, and the sample may have picked up some carbon from the atmosphere, from the biosphere, or especially from the ocean. And was there a time, ever a time, when the world was completely covered in water? Think about Genesis chapters 6 through 9 and the flood of Noah's day. Well, <clears throat> we go back here. Dr. Frederick 
or Frederick Johnson, I don't know if there's a doctor or not, but Frederick Johnson, who wrote chapter 7 of Dr. Libby's book, Radiocarbon Dating, admitted some problems with the dating system compared with archaeological dates. And he came to this conclusion on page 101. <clears throat> Quote, the radiocarbon method gives promise that it will be a tool useful in shortening the process of establishing the time when many events in human prehistory took place. However, if present conclusions are correct, the ordering of these events cannot be accomplished by the radiocarbon method alone. The results must be checked and revised. This need of careful cross-checking leads to a collaboration between the several fields, unquote. Now, the several fields and the checking and the cross-checking and such things as that, that would be pottery, artifacts, tree ring, uh, tree ring analysis, etc., etc. And you try finding a tree that's older than 10,000 years. So you can dispense with radiocarbon dating because it is completely useless in the evolution-creation debate. Now, let's look at the scientific dating systems that are used to give these billions of years dating. What we want to look at is radiometric dating. In radiometric dating, there are three basic ones. Potassium breaking down to argon, rubidium breaking down to strontium, and uranium breaking down to lead. And uranium breaking down to lead was the one that was discovered first. So how does that system work? Well, simply stated, it works like this. In a laboratory, you measure the breakdown decay rate. That is, you know, in the uranium breaking down to lead, how long does it take for half of the uranium to break down into lead? And that's what you call the half-life or the decay rate. You use it on such things as rocks and dirt, etc., not things that once lived. So what you do is you dig up a pile of rocks and it has fossilized bones in it. You can't date the bones with that method, so you date the rocks and then you assume the bones got into the rock when the rock was formed. In other words, the rocks and the bones would be the same age. So that's one assumption there. Well, you find in the laboratory that the rocks you've dug up have 50 grams of lead in them. Since you know the breakdown decay rate, you use the formula to find out how long it would take to get 50 grams of lead from uranium, and bingo, there's your date. Well, the important point to remember in this is this. Every single dating system known to man, except the Bible, is based upon certain assumptions. There are three main assumptions on which radiometric dating is based. Now, the first assumption you have to make you know, again, that the rocks and the dirt and the bones are the same age. But these are the three main assumptions in the dating system. Number one, you must assume there were no daughter elements in the rock to start with. You know, in other words, potassium breaking down into argon. Argon is the daughter element. 
So when you pick up a rock and measure how much argon is in it, you assume that there was no argon in it to start with. You assume all the argon you're measuring is from the breakdown of potassium. But what if it wasn't? What if of the 50 grams of argon that you found in a rock, 45 grams were there to begin with? Well, is there any evidence of that happening? Well, yes, there is. You've heard of Mount St. Helens? One of the ways of forming new rock is through volcanic action. So when scientists rushed out to the volcano to pick up and examine the rocks, they wanted to see if there were any daughter elements. They were loaded with daughter elements. In other words, rock piled full of argon, but just formed. So what does that show you? The assumption's wrong. You can't put in a correction factor for it because you don't know how to correct for it. So you just have to go on assuming that the rock you dug up that had those 50 grams of argon in it couldn't have been there to start with. It all had to come from the breakdown of potassium. When all along, you know that that's a faulty assumption. You know that it's wrong. Dr. George C. Waynes, and this is from www.asa3.org forward slash ASA forward slash resources forward slash W-I-E-N-S dot H-T-M-L pound sign page percent 2015. He does this and I quote, and this is how evolutionists try to explain proof away. Quote, some young earth proponents recently reported that rocks were dated by the potassium argon method to be several million years old when they were really only a few years old. But the potassium argon method with its long half-life was never intended to date rocks only 25 years old. These people have only succeeded incorrectly showing that one can fool a single radiometric dating method when it uses it improperly. The false radiometric ages of several million years are due to parentless argon, as described here and first reported in the literature some 50 years ago. Note that it would be extremely unlikely for another dating method to agree with these bogus ages. Getting agreement between more than one dating method is a recommended practice, unquote. Well, what if those four million year old rocks were only a thousand years old. How would you know? How would you know? There's no way to know. You know, there's a little cartoon, and this is the way circular reasoning works in the evolutionary circles. There's a little cartoon character saying, this fossil is three billion years old. Another character says, how do you know? He says it was in this rock strata. Oh, well, how can you be certain of the age of this rock strata? Well, this three billion year old fossil was in it. You know, that's circular reasoning. Now, the second main assumption on which radiometric dating is based is this. You assume that the system is a closed system. In other words, 
there's nothing in nature that could alter the sample. Nothing could detract from it or add to it. Well, in nature, there's no such thing as a closed system. In nature, everything is an open system. So somewhat less than 1% of Earth's oxygen, uh, atmosphere is argon. That means some of the argon may have leaked out of the rock or the rock may have picked up some argon from the atmosphere. Either way, the rock may have lost some or gained some argon. So what does that show you? That shows you the assumption is wrong. And again, you can't put in a correction factor for it because you don't know how to correct it. So we just have to go on assuming that all the argon was there in the rock to start with when we know all along that's wrong. That's a faulty assumption. Again, going back to Dr. Roger C. Wayne's, or W-I-E-N-S, however that's pronounced, he again tries to explain this away and even contradicts what he said earlier. Quote, some doubters have tried to dismiss geologic dating with a sleight of hand by saying that no rocks are completely closed systems. That is, that no rocks are so isolated from their surroundings that they have not lost or gained some of the isotopes used for dating. Speaking from an extreme technical viewpoint, this might be true. Perhaps one atom out of, let's see, one atom out of one trillion of a certain isotope has leaked out of nearly all rocks. But such a change would make an immeasurably small change in result, unquote. Well, what if the rocks were formed there already had daughter elements in them? There goes your wrong date again. Now, the third assumption on which radiometric dating is based is this. You must assume that everything has gone always at a standard uniform rate. That is called uniformitarianism. In other words, everything is rocking along now just like it always has. Nothing's changed. But is there any evidence that things have changed? Well, yes, there is. You think about a global flood of Noah's day. That was a change. God making the sun stand still at Joshua's request is a change. That's Joshua 10, 12 to 14. You know, there have been numerous changes or catastrophes in the earth, some natural, some supernatural. But one thing is for sure, everything hasn't been rocking along at the same uniform rate. Again, uniformitarianism. I want to give the Wikipedia definition for uniformitarianism. Quote, Uniformitarianism is the assumption that the same natural laws and processes that operate in the universe now have always operated in the universe in the past and apply everywhere in the universe. It has included the gradualistic concept that the present is the key to the past and is functioning at the same rates. So again, a global flood is a change. Different catastrophes on the earth, some natural, some uh, supernatural, but 
one thing is for sure, everything has not been rocking along at the same uniform rate. So you know, all these assumptions are wrong, so why do scientists use this method? Well, the answer is simple. You can't get a young earth. Using this method, you are guaranteed an old earth, and evolutionists have to have an extremely old earth in order for, as was quoted earlier, time to work their miracles for them. And there, I want to look at a few scientific dating failures. First one. Several years ago, some scientists discovered human bones buried under thick deposits of mud in California. The bones were submitted to competent authorities who declared them to be about 75,000 years old. Unfortunately, however, as they dug deeper, they found an old United States Army button. So either the United States had an Army 75,000 years ago, or the scientific dating system was wrong. I'll let you make that decision. Number two, an archaeological excavation team led by Professor Mitsuo Kawaga of Beppu University discovered drawings on the wall of a cave on the Japanese island of Kyushu. The excited scientists announced that the drawings were from 10,000 to 30,000 years old. Alas, a lifelong resident of the area came forward to confess that he had often scribbled on the walls of the cave with charcoal when he was a boy. So he must be somewhere between 10,000 and 30,000 years old, or the scientific system, dating system, was wrong. Number three, some rock paintings were found in the South African bush in 1991. The paintings were examined by Oxford University's Radiocarbon Accelerator Unit, who dated them as being around 1,200 years old. However, the publicity of the find attracted the attention of a Mrs. Joan Ahrens, a Cape Town resident, who recognized the paintings as being produced by her art classes and later stolen from her garden by vandals. So these are just some examples of scientific dating system failures. And this is just some. Well, are there any dating systems that show a young Earth? Well, yes, there are. Dating systems that show a young Earth, you go look at all of them, there are over 75 of them. The first one is population statistics. And this is the most powerful argument for a young Earth is population statistics. Now what does that mean? Statisticians have all these fancy formulas they plug in their computers to tell you what the population should be. If you started out day zero with a certain number of people, you put in factors for death, disease, famines, plagues, wars, pestilences, such things as that, and then you come up with how many people should be wherever you're looking at in a time frame there. From the website creationdefense.org, this is from July 2001, John Morris in his excellent book The Young Earth convincingly demonstrates the problems with the old earth position by considering the simple mathematics of population statistics. Quote, 
Suppose man has been around for one million years as evolutionists teach. If present rates are typical there, should be about 10 to the power of 8,600 people alive today. That's 10 with 8,600 zeros following it. This number is obviously absurd, and no evolutionist would claim, to be, claim it to be accurate, unquote there. To illustrate how outrageous this large number is, consider the number of seconds that have ticked off the clock since the beginning of time on the evolutionist time scale. Today, evolutionists estimate the age of the universe from 12 to 15 billion years old, but for the sake of example, let's say that it's 30 billion years old. The number of seconds in 30 billion years is less than 10 to the 18th power. Another dating system that shows a young Earth is the sun is shrinking. The sun is shrinking 0.1% per year, which figures out to be about 5 feet per hour. Well, that doesn't mean much to a creationist, but to an evolutionist, it's devastating. You know why? If you apply the uniformitarianism on which the bedrock foundation of evolution is, which says everything goes on at the same uniform rate as it always has and always will, you know, the Earth right now is 93 million miles from the sun. Well, let's increase the sun five feet per hour. You go back 20 million years, which is nothing in the evolutionary time frame, the Earth would be touching the sun. By that time, all of evolution was supposed to have taken place except the very last part of primate evolution. So you go back more than 20 million years, then all of evolution before that time had to take place while the Earth was inside the sun. Now who would believe that? Well, what do evolutionists say to try to get around this? From the website infidels.org, it says, what about uniformitarianism? Does it only work when they want it to? This is what is stated. The shrinking sun argument contains two errors. First, and by far the worst, is the assumption that if the sun is shrinking today, as might be detected over a period of years, then it's always been shrinking. Well, isn't that what uniformitarianism would say? So they go back on their own foundational bedrock. Well, continuing what they stated, to sum up, the, sun, uh, the shrinking sun argument rests squarely on a naive extension of rate measured over a relatively short period of time. It's the type of blunder one might find in high school science project. Well, of course, there is no logical answer for what on the sun shrinking, so what do they have to do? They have to resort to name calling. But if they use uniformitarianism on everything else, why won't they use uniformitarianism on the sun shrinking? Because it doesn't fit. Another dating system that shows a young Earth is the fact that 
hydrogen breaks down into helium. Hydrogen, the parent element, helium, the daughter element. Sir Fred Hoyle, an eminent British astronomer and cosmologist, came along in the 1950s and stumbled across something no one expected. Everyone that is an evolutionist believes the universe again started 20 to 30 billion years ago with the Big Bang. Theory out of a blob of hydrogen. Hydrogen is all there was. Well, as Edward R. Harrison in Cosmology, the Science of the Universe at Goodreads.com stated, quote, Hydrogen is an odorless, colorless, tasteless gas that given billions of years turns into people, unquote. Well, again, let's look at what Wikipedia has to say about Sir Fred Hoyle. He was born June 24th, 1915. He died August 20th, 2001. He was an English astronomer noted primarily for the theory of stellular nucleosynthesis and his often controversial stances on other cosmological and scientific matters. In particular, his rejection of the Big Bang Theory a term originally coined by him on BBC Radio. You see, he promoted the steady state theory which showed the universe to be eternal, where the Big Bang shows it to be <coughs> as, it, as a beginning. Where Dr. Hoyle found that the universe today consists almost entirely of hydrogen. The problem for the evolutionists is that hydrogen is slowly being turned into helium. Scientists know of new, no new way outside of the laboratory to produce new hydrogen. Given the rate that hydrogen is turning into helium, if the universe is as old as evolution says it is, our universe should have a whole lot of helium and not very much hydrogen. Well, sir, uh, Dr. Hoyle's research shows the universe consists almost entirely of hydrogen. So he made this quote in 1960 in The Nature of the Universe. That's from New York, printed by Harper, page 185, and this is his statement. That being the case, how comes it then the universe consists chiefly of hydrogen? If matter was infinitely old, this would be quite impossible. So we can see that the universe being what it is, the creation issue simply cannot be dodged. In 1982, and this is according to Wikipedia, Hoyle presented evolution from space for the Royal Institution's Omnitheate, or lecture, excuse me, after considering what he thought of as a very remote probability of Earth-based abiogenesis, he concluded, <coughs> quote him, If one proceeds directly and straightforwardly in the matter, without being deflected by a fear of incurring the wrath of scientific opinion, one arrives at the conclusion that biomaterials with their amazing measure or order must be the outcome of intelligent design. No other possibility I have been able to think of." Unquote. 
Another dating system that shows a young Earth is the Earth's magnetic field. <coughs> One of the most powerful scientific proofs for a young Earth was done by Dr. Thomas Bond, a former professor of physics at the University of Texas at El Paso. He was a very distinguished author and has literally written a book for most physics classes. Before he retired, Dr. Bond spent most of his life, or almost his lifetime, working on one single point, and that is the Earth's magnetic field. Dr. Bond discovered that the Earth's magnetic field is breaking down. In other words, the Earth's magnetic field is decaying. If you find out the rate that the magnetic field is decaying, you can go back and see how strong it was in the past. Well, what do you come up with? It's something evolutionists did not expect. When you go back to a point just 10,000 years ago, you discover that the Earth's magnetic field is absolutely so strong that it would split the Earth in half. So using the uniform rate of the evolutionist, you cannot get an Earth that is more than 10,000 years of age. So the atheistic evolutionist, scientifically proven, has no time to hide behind. The dating systems fail. Their dating systems fail. The Earth is a young planet. So where do we go to find out how old the Earth is? Well, let's go to the Bible. How old does the Bible say the Earth is? And using the genealogies, we can tell. In 1 Corinthians 15, 54, we find there the Bible states Adam was the first man. That verse reads, And so it is written, The first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam, speaking of Christ there, was made a quickening spirit. So the Bible says that Adam was the first man. Not homo whatever, but Adam. Homo sapien. Man according to the Bible, has been on the earth from the beginning of the creation. That is Mark 10, 5 through 6. Mark chapter 10, verses 5 through 6. Notice what Jesus says. And Jesus answered and said unto them, For the hardness of your heart he wrote this precept. It's talking about divorce for any reason or whatever there. Verse 6. But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. So human beings have been on the earth since the creation. And how old is the earth? Very simply stated, the earth is five days older than man. Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. So that's the beginning. In Genesis 1.27, it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And in verse 31, God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. In the evening and the morning were the sixth day. So man was created on day six, the earth and the universe created on day one, so the earth is five days older than man. Well, that's not what we're looking for, is it? You know, people want to date. 
Well, <clears throat> an individual state, you know, you cannot use the genealogies because of what Bishop Usher tried to do in 1600. Well, what did he try to do? He took the genealogies found in the Old and New Testaments and began to work his way back, assuming always a direct father to son linkage, and he said the earth was created in 4004 B.C. You know, if you have a King James Bible, you may have one that has the dates in it. And there I've got one that says in the little center column there, it says Genesis 1-1-4004 B.C. So I still put in some of the Bibles today. Well, Vice, the Vice Chancellor of Cambridge, Chancellor Lightfoot, went back and he did something that, that can't be done with the genealogies. But anyway, this is what he stated, and I quote, I've come to the conclusion that the earth was created in 4004 B.C. with Adam and Eve being created the week of October 18th or 24th with them being created on October 23rd at 9.30 a.m. 45th meridian time. Unquote. One scholar said, quote, closer than this, the learned chancellor did not care to speculate, unquote. Well, you can't do that with the genealogies. <clears throat> but what you can do is what we're going to be looking at now. You know, from right now, 20, the year 2022, to the time of Christ, which you go back and you date his birth at 4 B.C., you have about, you know, just a little over 2,000 years. Well, from Christ back to the call of Abraham. From Christ to Abraham, you can look at Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 to 17, and it gives the lineage there from Abraham to Christ. You look at Luke 3, 23 to 38, and you have the lineage from Adam to Christ. So let's do a little bit of investigation here. In Galatians chapter 3, look at verse 17. Galatians chapter 3, verse 17. It states there, and this I say that the covenant that was confirmed before God in Christ, the law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul that it should make the promise of none effect. So what we have here is the law of Moses was given 430 years after the promise was given to Abraham. In 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 1, 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 1, it says there, it came to pass in the 480th year after the children of Israel were come out of the land of Egypt in the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel in the month Ziph, which is the second month that he began to build the house of the Lord. 
So we have 430 years from Abraham to the law, 480 years from the Exodus, which is the time of the giving of the law, till Solomon's fourth year, which is 1000 BC. So from Christ to the call of Abraham was about 2,000 years. From the call of Abraham to the birth of Abraham was 75 years. Let's go back to the book of Genesis again, chapter 12. It says there, verse 1, Now the Lord had said to Abraham, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, into a land that I will show thee. So verse 4, Abraham depart, or Abram departed from the Lord, as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. So we have there, we have 1,000, which is Solomon's year, or fourth year there, 1,000 B.C., plus the 910 years, the 430 years from Abraham to the law, and the 480 years from the Exodus to Solomon's fourth year. That's 1,910 years. So there are about 2,000 years from Christ to the birth of Abraham. So the answer of how old the earth is lies in the time from Abraham to Adam. So we have the birth of Abraham about 1985 B.C. to the creation. And see, that's the number we're looking for. Well, in Luke's genealogy, in Luke 3, there are 20 generations from Abraham back to Adam. It goes Abraham, Terah, Nahor, Serug, Reu, Peleg, Eber, Selah, Arphaxad, Shem, Noah, Lamech, Methuselah, Enoch, Jared, Mahalaleel, Canaan, Enos, Seth, Adam. So that's the 20 generations from Abraham to Adam. Well, as we look at the history and the lifespans that are given in Genesis, we find there are about 2,000 years from Adam to Abraham. But someone is going to say, well, there may be gaps in those genealogies. Well, what if there are? <clears throat> Look at Jude verse 14. Jude verse 14. That verse says, And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousand of his saints. All right, so we have Enoch, the seventh from Adam. So let's go back to our list. And we have Adam, one, Seth, two, Enos, three, Canaan, four, Mahalalel, five, Jared, six, Enoch, seven. No gap there. Well, what about the day? Well, now 
you have only 13 generations in which to stick four and a half billion years of alleged Earth history? Well, using the Bible, which is the only dating system that's not based on assumptions, we get the age of the Earth to be approximately 6,000 years old. And you go in and you look at all those direct follow the sun in the genealogies and you add up the years, 4,004 is going to be just about right. So, does the true age of the earth fit evolutionary time or does it fit creation? You see, everything that we've studied shows that evolution is nothing but a lie and creation is the truth. So now, you know, and we, no matter what we hear about the age of the earth, we can be assured that the Bible's correct. True science always agrees with the Bible. And true science tells us the earth is young. See, the earth is measured in thousands of years, not millions or billions of years. Someone may tell you or ask you, what do you mean the earth was only created about 6,000 years old? Only someone with no good sense would believe in such a ridiculous thing as that. And that's what people try to say. Well, you now have an answer for them. You're going to be able to tell them the errors of the scientific dating systems used to date the earth. You'll be able to tell them that true science always agrees with the Bible. And you can give them examples. You know, they may make fun of you, but you must be sincere, loving, and honest with them. And the Bible plainly states that the earth is only five days older than man there in Genesis chapter 1. You know, it's amazing why whenever we look at the magazines we read, we look at television shows, uh, PBS is really bad about that on their nature programs and Nova and things such as that. Everybody goes, oh yeah, this dinosaur fossil lives 100 million years old or whatever million years old. No. Such is not the case, because true science shows that man and dinosaur live together. We've shown that in other lessons as well, but in Genesis chapter 1, it shows that also. All of this evolutionary, I guess you would call it garbage that's out there, is a lie. There is no such thing as macro evolution. Macroevolution is talking about one species changing into another, like they try to say that apes turned into man and dinosaurs turned into birds and things such as that. That's all a lie. We can know that the Bible is true. We can know that the earth is young. We can know that the earth's age is in a few thousand years not multiple million or billions of years.
So again, this is Don Boyd. I want to thank you for turning in or tuning in to Opening the Scriptures, and we look forward to being with you next time. When you're in Moody, Missouri, you're invited to visit the Moody Church of Christ, located on Highway E in Moody, Missouri. The congregation there meets on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. for Bible class, 11 a.m. for worship, and then again at 6 p.m. for Sunday evening worship. They also meet at 6 p.m. on Wednesday night for Bible study. We thank you for listening today. We hope you enjoyed this program. You can find out more about Bible Media by visiting our website, BibleWayMedia.org. You can find all of our podcasts on all major podcast platforms. As always, we thank you for listening.